I love communicating. I love explaining my point of view. There's nothing more exhilarating than when the person you're speaking with says, ah, yeah, I get it now. I think this is one of the reasons that I started a podcast and have done a little bit of writing. It's because I think there's messages and information out there that people aren't familiar enough with. And I think I can explain it in such a way that it's understood. I guess in a nutshell, you could call that a form of education. So then I've often asked myself, Mike, why aren't you a teacher if you like educating so much? The simple conclusion I arrive at is although I think I'm a pretty patient and calm person, I don't think I have teacher levels of calm and patience. That's next level stuff, at least from what it looks like. But to be honest, I don't really know what teachers are like. I only know a handful of them, and the ones I know seem basically normal. But how can that be? Their job is just so different from what I am used to. Although the idea of standing in front of a bunch of 10- to 17-year-old kids seems so foreign and bizarre to me, it is routine for Joni Sanford. Joni has been teaching for over 12 years and is currently teaching in Halifax. She got her teaching credentials in British Columbia, developed her career in Ontario, and now she's an educator to more than 60 students here in Halifax, mostly for different science courses, though from time to time she's been known to teach basically everything else. So if you've ever wondered what it's like to lead a room full of teenagers, or what kind of preparation is required to be confident teaching every day, or how you can manage basically a million different relationships, then keep listening, because this is Mike Syme with How to Teach a Lesson. With me here today, I have Joni Sanford, who is a teacher. It's one of these jobs that literally everybody has some experience with, and I don't know what they do because I haven't thought about it enough since elementary school and high school. And so I need to kind of amend that discrepancy of information. So here with me today, Joni Sanford. Thanks very much for coming, Joni. Oh, you're welcome. You've been teaching for roughly how long? Uh, roughly, I'm starting my 13th, no, 14th year. So 14, 13 years under my belt. Um, I've been teaching high school. In high school, I've taught grade 9, 10, 11, and 12. Um, I started in Ontario, so high school starts at grade 9 in Ontario. Of those 13 years, how many were you teaching in Halifax? I just came back to Halifax last year, so I've only been in Halifax for two years. The structure of like teacher education to experience and then to like uh, to jobs is probably one that I'm least familiar with, like uh, uh, like how the resumes work or if you even use resumes or um, how much education you need. So for you to get this job in Halifax, like what do you think I needed to do? Yeah. <laughs> like what was the thing that we're like, oh, she's a, she's capable of this. Do you want me to talk about like my whole schooling? Yeah, please. Okay, so I did an undergraduate degree in science. Coming out of high school, I knew that I liked science, but I didn't know where I wanted to take that. Um, so I went into biology, and almost everyone in my class wanted to be a doctor, and I knew for sure I didn't want to be a doctor, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Somewhere in my four years of undergraduate, I decided that I was going to be a teacher. Um, so then I had to find a place or a school that had a BED. And I decided to go to UBC to do that because they basically offered all of the criteria you needed to be a teacher in Nova Scotia. 
but in a condensed amount of time. So all the teaching degrees here are two-year programs. And what they did at UBC is they took the two-year program and condensed it over 12 months. So did you just go straight into teaching once you finished your BED? Actually, when I came out of teacher's college, the BC teachers were going on strike. So I had no job. And I decided that I was going to strike because we got $50 a day for striking until the government um, froze the union's assets, and then we got no money. So I was freaking out. Because you were brand new. I was brand new. I had all kinds of debt to pay off, and I couldn't work. Even as a supply teacher, I couldn't work. So that's what, how I kind of started, but that got resolved, and then I went back to supply teaching or substitute teaching um, until I found a job in Ontario, and then I drove myself across the country to pick up someone's maternity leave at a school in Ontario. I always thought, like I heard the kind of stereotype or cliche that it's like you float around. Like, so if, you, if they need a biology teacher and you have biology experience, great. If not, well you can read the textbook kind of stuff? Yeah, sometimes. So like when I took my first job in Ontario, the teacher I was taking over for, she did teach biology, but she also taught geography and other things that, I mean, I could easily learn because I'm an adult and this is grade (laughs) nine level, but like it wasn't my specialty. Um, And I've taught other things that are not my specialty. Like I've taught a grade 11 English course, which I knew nothing about. But I think if you're a good teacher, like you know how to teach. So I had to spend a, an enormous amount of time learning content and developing lessons, but at least I knew how to convey like material to the kids and how to make them feel welcome in a classroom. So like I knew how to teach. Um, and then the content was a lot of work for me. Yeah. So back to the, uh, you said you drove across Canada. Is that common? Like do <laughs> teachers have to go other places? Yeah, be super um, I think now, so I will also say in Ontario, when I had my job, I was in a private school, so it's a little bit maybe easier to get in permanently in a private school than it is in a public system. And a lot of the ladies I played soccer with um, were teachers as well, and they were not finding work. So they were spending a lot of time um, either getting hired for short amounts of time, like three months, and then laid off and then rehired, or they get hired for one year and then laid off for the summer and then hired again in the fall. So there was a lot of uncertainty for them. So the job in Ontario that you took was part of the reason you were willing to drive because you were like, you spotted like this could be a good one? Well, there's a little more to the story. <laughs> so I was dating a boy. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and he was in Ontario and I was in BC. And I was like, well, I'm not moving there unless I have a job. And then he kind of found this job. <laughs> and being from Nova Scotia, it was closer to home. And I said, I'll just stay for six months and then I'll just go home. And that six months turned into 12 years. (laughs) What changed at your job or your life in Mississauga where you're like, time for a change. Yeah. Um, the work environment was really stressful and I didn't really see any long-term changes in the future. Like I only saw it progressing instead of like there was no action on it um so I just said you know I need a change and either I'm gonna stay here and do this and complain about it or I'm gonna take be proactive and make a better choice for myself uh what creates a stressful work environment for a teacher oh gosh what doesn't (laughs) teaching is stressful in general what was stressful to me was the culture of the school. There was a high demand 
encouraging everybody to do more all the time. Um, so the students were encouraged to do more, the teachers were encouraged to do more, and then they were never taking anything off the plate. And there's a breaking point where it's like you just can't do anything more. There were a lot of teachers retiring early. There were people, lots of people just like switching, leaving schools or going to other schools. And I think everyone, or I was especially starting to feel it. But like I'm pretty good at handling my own stress. It was difficult managing and handling like 100 students' stress plus colleagues' stress. Like some days you would go to school feeling fine and then everyone would vent to you and you're like, I just... I just can't handle this. Was a big plus to this job in Halifax, like being able to come back home? Yeah, yeah, big time. Getting the job, well, coming home was the idea and getting the job was a bonus. Yeah, so it made like the whole move just less stressful for us. Yeah, this job is good. Yeah. <laughs> I so, like it so far. <laughs> so then on the flip side, uh, what makes a good teaching job? Like why is this job so much better? I like the teaching environment here and the mentality of what education is. Like, it's very open. There's lots of flexibility in what you can do as a teacher. And because it's smaller, there's, like, a little less policy around everything because everything's a little more intimate. So those things have really been different for me. Um, and also just the mindset. It's very progressive they understand like education is changing and they try and change with it. It seems like as a team, like as a school team, that they're working to stay current, which is what I really like that my other school wasn't doing. I felt like my other school was very reactive. It's like, oh, cell phones, what are we going to do about this? Um, and then they're like, we're going to ban cell phones. So there was no Wi-Fi, no cell phones in my school. Or they weren't allowed, of course there were cell phones, that, but they weren't allowed to use them in classes or have them out during the day. Like ironclad policy yep. kind of thing. Yeah, if yeah. you had your phone out, it just got taken away. Whereas here, uh, we do have Wi-Fi, which is lovely, and it can be well used in the classroom. But like very often, I'll say, okay, like the kids will ask me a question, and I'll say, like, get out your phone and look it up. So not that they're using their phones to like text or like watch videos on, but they're using it as a tool in, in when it's appropriate, which I think is like so simple. Now, that being said, there are several days where I tell kids to put away phones. There are several days when texts and calls come in. So it's not a perfect system. Like they do get used inappropriately and then you have to address it. Yeah. But I like that progressive kind of mentality instead of like policy rules, 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 rules. I know um, one of my aunts worked in a school for a while, or like her, that's what she did for her career. And she, one of the things she said was that, and these are her words, so I'm not putting anything <laughs> on you, was that sometimes dealing with the parents was so much worse than the kids. And True. that they, <laughs> like, they'll just, like, there's no way my precious angel could have done that or give them a better mark. Like, um, yes and no. So parents generally want what's best for their kids. And parents know their children well. So I might talk to a parent and be like, oh, well, this is happening. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Um, that's what it's always been like. And then we try to move forward on, like, how can we, like, start to make changes towards how, whatever behavior we want to see. One maybe difference in a private school is that the parents are paying. So it's almost like you're, you're crossing that fine line between providing education and providing a service because they're kind of like customers, right? So sometimes parents in a private school will demand certain things because they are paying for what they consider to be a service and not just 
education. Is there like paperwork around that kind of stuff where it's like to clarify? Because I would imagine that's like an important thing to be like. What, what kind of paperwork? Well, do you like mean? to say like, it's like, hey, just because like you know you signed this document, just because you're paying for this oh, I don't tuition, uh, doesn't mean you're guaranteed grades. Do you know? What um, I mean? No, I don't think so. I think it's not. As, I mean, every parent wants their kid to get good grades. Mostly, they just want to know like what's going on and stay in the loop, so to speak without surprises all of a sudden and if or they want to know that teachers are working with and for their kids Um, and I always say like there's a triangle we're all on the same side there's student parent teacher and the person working hardest in the triangle needs to be the student and in some cases where you have difficulty it's the parents that are working harder than everyone else to try and get a certain outcome but I've had lots of difficult parents that I've dealt with and I've been yelled at lots and I've cried and shed tears after talking to parents, and I've had colleagues tell stories that I can't even believe that somebody would say that to anybody. So they're not all friendly and nice, but I'd say for the most part, we're all on the same side. We're all trying to help out their child. So most times they're, they're good. So the thing I'm just kind of realizing now is like of all the people I've spoken to, I think you on like a day-to-day and like week-to-week, month-to-month basis probably see the most people oh gosh like the yeah. most like <laughs> interactions <laughs> the qu- quantity the uh the diversity of the people from parents to coworkers to students and then like i'm sure you'd have like the greatest number of interactions like there- there's a lot of interactions yeah. and act- that's probably what's most tiring about teaching yeah the amount of different conversations and deci- decisions you have to make like at any given day And the amount, like, and all the different directions you're pulled in. I probably teach at this school 60 kids in total. I might email or talk with parents. I see all my colleagues. Um, And then, of course, my own family. and Like, so, yeah, lots of people that you're talking and dealing with different things about. So, The classes that you're actually seeing these kids in are are which? Oh, okay. I teach um, biology 10, 11, and 12. And I teach chemistry 10. Biology 10, 11, 12, and chemistry. So science. Yes, science. <laughs> Do, is that your interest? Do you prefer to work um, in those kind of areas? Yes, I would say definitely my interest. You know what, though? I love learning. I've taught so many things outside of science, um, like geography, and I've taught health. I guess that's kind of some things are related. But I love to learn. So yes, I would like to teach science. That was what I would prefer because I'm most comfortable with it. Was there any courses or any materials where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to teach this, or I have no interest in teaching this, or do you have a little so, bit of a... My last year at my other school, I took on teaching Chem 12, which I've done chemistry in university, so I've learned all of that content before, but it had been a really long time since I've addressed or looked at any of that content. I would have to study almost every night before I would teach. Um, so it was really hard. And I would have to do all the homework. So any homework I assigned the kids, I had to do all the problems too so that we could take them up in class or if they had questions. Because what I've learned as a teacher is if you assign stuff and don't at least try or look through them, uh, they'll always ask questions that you can't answer on the spot. So that was really hard. I also had a colleague that helped me a lot. Without judgment, I said, can you teach this to me? And she would like give me, take time and give me like a little lesson on whatever. And So without trying to flatter you, is that common? Because like I just look, look back at my I don't high school. know. Because <laughs> I like it seems like that's a really good 
approach. Yeah. But it also seems like a lot of work. Oh, and it is. It's just <laughs> my, the, my cynical self would be like, I can't imagine all teachers are doing that. Um, no, I think, well, teaching is a lot of work. Like planning lessons, creating the material and doing it. It's a ton of work. So I don't think teachers like to do all that work all the time. Now, I think good teachers are constantly like reflecting, modifying, changing the things they do um, year to year and not drastically, but maybe like small things to make things better. But I don't know. There's also a lot of teachers that have been teaching for a long time and like their course works. They get good results. The kids are doing okay. So it's like, why reinvent the wheel if it's working? My only criticism with that is that education has changed a lot. So are we teaching them the right skills for the future for jobs that may not, we don't even know exist yet and like those types of things. So the thing, the other thing about teaching is like you got to do what you do best. So if your best way is to tell stories and lecture, that is probably your best way to teach. If you got to be you because students are, teenagers are like animals and they sense fear and sense insecurity and they'll attack those things. So uh, you just got to be you. Are there any teaching styles that you just don't think will ever go out of practice? My kind of philosophy about teaching is nowadays, like any information they need, they can always look up. So I am aware that kids will probably forget 90% of what they learn in my classroom as they go on in life, um, unless they, of course, pursue that field, right? Um, but I think what kids do remember is how they feel in the classroom. So when I teach, I'm trying to make them feel good in the classroom. So they associate that with the, well, maybe with the subject or with me or just with learning. What about students like that um, I mostly see from television shows that are just, you can't wait until they're not in your class anymore. Like, does that <laughs> happen? Is it, I assume it's got to happen at least sometimes. Um, there's personality now. We're adults, so there may be kids we don't get along with. I remember I had one grade nine class. I had 16 boys and two girls in the class, and they were crazy. They were hormonal grade nine boys, and I loved them all. They were wild, but also like vibrant. Like they had good personalities, but they were crazy. Like it was impossible to get them to sit down and do stuff. And when that June came, I was like, oh, see you never. But when they got to grade 12, they would still come and sit. Like, they were all, like, I would teach them again in grade 11 or 12, and they were all awesome kids. So there's always kids that you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm glad I'm done dealing with that. But I would say there's never any kids that you, like, hate. With adults and adult relationships, like, sometimes personalities just don't get along or, like, they have values that are just in their family that just aren't yours. Have you ever found personally that... Sometimes you're just not at the right spot to learn something. I know this has happened to me and I've learned the material that was covered in high school and I actually understood it years later. Sometimes though, your brain has to mature to get to that point. So I always tell my students a story. I quit physics after high school because I said, I hate physics because it was hard. So I never did any physics. And then after I graduated university, in order to get into my UBC teaching program, to teach science, I had to have at least a first year level course in biology, chemistry, and physics. And I didn't have physics. So I had, after I graduated, I had to go back for a whole year, spend money just to take a, like a full year of physics, like two half credits, which was annoying, but I worked and whatever. And it put off my BED program for a year. 
but physics was easy. Like I was giving a hundred on like tests and stuff and the labs, like I was actually understanding like what everything was doing instead of just like going to the recipe. But I said, I couldn't learn physics when I was 16 years old. Like I had to wait till I was 22 and then I could actually conceptualize, like I was academically mature enough to learn it. Right. So sometimes things like that happen too. And that's so frustrating. I know. (laughs) Now that you know that, how does that change the way you look at some of your students who aren't getting concepts? Um, Well, I find, and kids actually recognize this and notice it too. So I always tell them like, it's hard work to learn, number one. And sometimes we don't learn things the first time. And I have tons of students that don't get things or like, it was so hard when I wrote my test in October, but then when they restudy it for the final exam, they're like, I can't believe that was so hard. So it takes time. Like, I don't know what happens in the brain, but there's a whole bunch of processing that goes on and it takes time. Um, And in our world of immediate gratification, sometimes you're not willing to put in the time that it takes to actually learn stuff. So, And one of the things that I've been uh, kind of, be exposed to a bit more now is like so we have we need to educate children and young adults and we need to give them experiences so that they're like useful later in life and like have meaningful lives themselves okay so we need to do that so how do we do that well let's get people who can you know educate them and teach them these lessons and it's like okay good but how do we know they're doing a good job we have to it's a really good question. assign numbers <laughs> somehow. And the kids who have higher numbers have done a better job learning. The teachers with higher numbers have done a better job teaching. And then it's like, I think that can get you really far. But then also you get bogged down in like maybe some metrics that aren't r- truly meaningful. So mostly assessment. Yeah, like <laughs> like certain types. It's true. Of, yeah, certain types um, of assessments. It's true. And um I'm speaking mostly in terms of like Ontario right now, because that's where I spent most of um, teaching. But Ontario has really moved to different types. Like there's so many ways to assess. And the traditional way to assess is a test or a quiz, like a product where you write down what you know. Um, They say 21st century, they, in the literature, like in what I've learned through my master's, like the 21st century skills that kids are said or students are meant to, to have or they need to learn are, let's see if I can remember them. So like communication skills, creativity, critical thinking, collaboration. So in terms of assessment, like those are very hard things to assess, but skills that they need to build. So um, we were working to develop different ways of assessing. So making sure that we had written assessments, but also observation assessments. So instead of like writing a lab report every time you do a lab, maybe I can just observe the kids to see if they understand what they're doing and give them a grade. Because there's all, when they're working in groups, there's always somebody that knows everything and somebody that knows nothing. Um, so when you're doing an observation assessment, you can really see, like you can differentiate who knows what's and actually understands and who's really just riding the tails of everybody else. It all, it's like, that all seems so like intuitive yeah really and really like good objectively but then it also seems like a lot more work it is a lot more work and that's what i said so once like like people were losing their mind including myself like everyone's like well how how am i supposed to do all this stuff again like more demands and not taking anything away um but once you find a way that works it becomes habit you know what i mean so i will often 
give kids practice tests for homework. And then I post the answer key and I tell them to mark it. And then I just, while they're working in the next day, I tell them to bring it up and I just record their practice test mark in my grade book. Mm -hmm. So they'll have like, yes, that's a little bit of work, but it really doesn't take much time out of my day once I've established it. Mm. You know what I mean? So like little things like that. Thinking back to how you were when you were a kid, are you like, yeah, I was, it's pretty obvious I became a teacher? Uh, probably, yes. Although <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm the oldest of four. So I was always playing teacher and playing school because I knew everything and I would just make stuff for my kids or for my brothers and sisters. And then I was always working in things that would probably lead me to teaching. Like I would work in with Halifax Recreation, doing day camps and managing day camps and um, in university, like I did a lot of team sports and I don't think I felt like I was going to be a teacher until like my second or third year. And somebody just said, oh, you should be a teacher. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I should. Because like I said, all my friends in biology, they all wanted to be doctors or dentists. And I knew that I didn't want to be a doctor or a dentist. I don't know why I knew that. I just was like, I just make sure I want to love what I do or go into it for the right reasons. So, so yeah, then I decided. Then I had to find a place to go to school. But another very, like, like, it seems like you've just had this whole, the whole array of, like, any job that can put you in front of the most people. Oh, that's true. Kind of <laughs> yeah, like I guess so. Had. I guess so. Well, yeah, and I grew up in a big family, too. Yeah. And when in my spare time, all I like is to be alone. <laughs> my husband and I always talk about it. I said, I like to just be alone. And he goes, he's, like, drives and does sales. So he's like, I like to be with people. Yeah. So it's awesome. Uh, jobs have the opposite environment so then our rest time is also the opposite environment (laughs) what is the thing or the things that you know on a daily basis that you're like this is this is a special job I love this working with the kids is awesome I do like that they I love working with them and I hate working with them on days right so they 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 pick me up and they bring me down uh some days but like I said the different personalities and just helping them figure out like what they're good at and helping them see success um, or watching them struggle and then see success. Like those things are really fun. And of course, summers off are really fun. (laughs) I think one of the probably misconceptions a lot of people have about teachers is like what an easy schedule they have. It's not even eight hours a day. They get statutory holidays, March break, Christmas, and then on top of that, like the entire summer off. What a breeze. What a breeze. Care, do you care to comment on that? I would say I can't speak for all teachers, but um, I definitely work all day and not just from my teaching hours. Like I'm in here early and I stay late and I often eat lunch on the fly working and I often work weekends and evenings. I do believe that I work maybe the equivalent of what I would work over a year in a more compressed time, Um, just with all the extra hours and like weekends, holidays, like all that stuff. There's so many hours put in that are not counted or paid for. So, so yeah, we work hard during the school year, very hard. And then we re revitalize ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. But we, the, the tricky thing is like, it's like, it's clear. I think once you look beneath the surface a little bit that it's clear that you work very hard but I think so many people especially if they don't have kids uh, and they just maybe know people who are teachers and they 
like see them get off at like 3 p.m., mm-hmm. it must be so easy. It's like, well, yeah. it's more complex than that. Yeah, and like I like I I'll go home sometimes to my husband and be like, you would not even believe the range of things that I've done today. It's like sometimes it even surprises myself. Like above just my regular teaching and like planning lessons. And for the last two years, like I said, starting this job last year, I was like, oh my gosh, it's like being a brand new teacher all over again. And when I did it last time, I didn't have a family or a house or like anything I had to actually look after. But it takes a long time, especially for an hour and a half lesson. There's a lot of planning that needs to go into it. And once you actually figure out what you're going to teach, then it's about like getting the resources. Like, do I need to make a PowerPoint? Do I need to like, what am I going to say? Like, what are the questions I'm going to ask the classes? And then sometimes it might be collecting up lab material or putting things away, washing beakers. Like there's just so many things. And then on top of that, there's like the emotional well-being of the people around me. Um, So-and-so's mom wants to meet and like all kinds of things. Or we're trying to get a psychological assessment for someone with learning difficulties. But and but then this person doesn't speak English, so we have to do work to have to change something for them. So like there's a crazy amount of stuff, or like someone gets lost and like just the photocopier broke, like all <laughs> kinds of like I said. Some days it's like the amount of things that I have done today is like on such a wide spectrum. It's crazy. Well, that like you've kind of answered one of my questions, but I want to talk about it anyways. Like I was going to ask if you had a short attention span or if you like variety in your work. Yeah. But I mean, whether or not you like it, you have You get it. (laughs) Yeah, you get it. Um, I do like variety. I would say in teaching, there is variety because you always have different students and every day is different and it's often not the way you expected. Like, for example, today at our school, we were supposed to have a guest speaker come in um, and then to do all of the morning. So all of my classes in the morning were supposed to be canceled because of this guest speaker. And then last night they canceled because they had the flu. So I came in and my first email was like, surprise, you have classes. And of course I have nothing planned. So things like that always come up and happen. I mean, not that specific example, but like surprises like that always come up or, or you have a test and there's a fire drill or like all kinds of weird and wonderful changes stuff that has nothing to do with teaching oh exactly yeah and and that's i guess what i'm kind of understanding a little bit more is like you're a um a supervisor of just people to make sure they don't get hurt yeah then you're also fixing you know technical issues with uh or it or like getting kids logged into their email and like counselors and coaches and I don't know, psychologists, even though I have no expertise in that, but, you know, or just a listening ear, like just a friend sometimes. And yeah, so lots of different hats. You have kids yourself. And one of the things that I was wondering about was like, because you said, well, I guess they're different ages. They are right now. Yeah. And so is that a good thing in like the way, you know, that's kind of a weird And what way. do you mean? Well, the, yeah, that's a weird question. <laughs> but like it, the way I would think of it is if I were teaching kids who were the same age as my actual kids. You get sick of them? Yeah, like negative <laughs> to association. To put it nicely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that sometimes um, I lose patience for my own kids. And I do question and sometimes feel guilty that I don't have enough patience or time for my own kids because I've given like so much all day. 
in terms, and even like sometimes when I go home at the end of the day, and maybe other teachers can uh, relate to this, or even people in other careers, if they're in busy places, that I just need to sit in quiet and like just be quiet. Everyone just needs to be quiet because I've been in loud, like constantly have people asking me things. So that I find is sometimes difficult. To work as a high school teacher and like to get where you have gotten, what sacrifices do you make? Like what things were you not able to do because of your chosen line of work? Um, well, we only get vacation when we get vacation in general. So we never get deals on travel because <laughs> we always travel at expensive times of year. Um, and also cha challenging if you want to go away for a wedding and stuff, like especially at my last school, we didn't have a lot of flexibi flexibility to take time off outside of our time off. Yeah. So that was kind of challenging or stressful, like the emotional baggage that I take home every day. Um, and I never actually realized this. One year um, after I had my kids, I came back to work um, as, a as a substitute teacher in my school. So my private school hired full-time supply teachers. So they always worked every day and they would cover as need on a need basis. So after my maternity leave, instead of coming back into the classroom, I came back as a full-time supply teacher. And the difference, because I just like ended my day and left without any like marking or lesson planning or even like an investment in the students, like the emotional baggage that I didn't take home with me was incredible. But when I had that time, like that six months or whatever it was to finish a school year where I was doing that, I really noticed the difference. I was like, oh my gosh, like the stuff that, because I do, I sometimes I have dreams about students or I'm like constantly thinking if I, did I do the right thing in that certain situation or should I have said something different? Like I hope they're not upset about it and all of those things or should I have called that parent or like just all that emotional baggage and thinking about people weighs on you over like over the long term right how do teachers get over that cope with that stuff um well like I've learned to not take things so personally so at, my, at the beginning of my career like I felt like everything was personal um and when people would complain or anything like they were attacking me like teachers are empathetic people and I think like, yeah. like other people in like social fields, like nurses and stuff. And it's just kind of like who they are. It's hard to turn that off. Yeah. It's hard to turn that off. Our students are just like our children. Like we do care for all of them and we do hope the best for all of them. And, and that's, that's just how it is. Like I said, we're all on the same page, parents, teachers, hopefully student trying to get to an, a common goal at the end or an outcome. Kind of sounds like you're a busy person, Joni. Other jobs are busy too, but yeah, but in different a, ways. In different ways, yeah. like all the jobs I've had where I've been busy, it's like one task that's all engrossing, right. or a couple yeah. that are quite engrossing. But yours sounds like you have one or two tasks that are like sixty percent of your attention. And then the other 40% could be anything else. Yeah, like 100 different tasks yeah. <laughs> all spread over. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty some pretty much sums it up. But like then, and then that, like in order to do all that, I feel like you need some like high gear of task management to keep it all straight. Yeah, sometimes. Um, the thing about teaching, and like I said, my husband has a very flexible schedule, which actually works very well with my rigid schedule. Yeah, like I need to have a lesson for 8.30 tomorrow morning. And if I don't do it tonight, like there's no, 
like doing it another time or like pushing it off for an hour or doing it first thing in the morning. There's always people waiting. Like I can't be late for work ever really because there's always people waiting. Um, and things that need to be done need to be done by time because they need to be done. I never really thought of it any other way because I've always been in school my whole life. I went school and then university school and then I went back to school for my career. So sometimes I go to other like workplaces and sit in offices. Like I, I went to Toronto for a concert once and I needed a place to work on a test. So my friend took me to her office. She's like, you just work in the spare room in the office. And I said, all right. I was like, this is my first time going to an office. I'm so excited. <laughs> and she's like, oh my gosh. And I was like, it's so different. Like it's just like completely different. People like get up and go to the bathroom when they want. And like, it's completely or different. on the way back from the bathroom, they'll stop and have a talk with someone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and not like a rush talk, like a, like in passing conversation, like they'll actually like stop and like shoot the breeze. And I was like, oh, it's, it's just so different. Does the idea of like principal or principal? Um, I don't want to be a principal. <laughs> okay. Any... I don't. Um, mostly because I like to work with the students and not manage adults and parents. So yeah, I really think I'm better. Like they always talk about like you have your bus and then you have to get the right people on the bus and then the right people in the right places on the bus. Um, so I think my right place, like I think school is my bus, so to speak, but I think the right place for me is on the front line as opposed to managing people. So I, yeah, I don't really have any interest in moving to administration yet. That's, well, that's nice to hear because it's always like ultimately... <laughs> I don't know. I assume there's teachers out there who don't like working with kids and they're like, well, I got to get to. I don't think there's, I don't think very many (laughs) teachers. I think that would be a stereotypical assumption. Assumption being the big word, just because I don't think you could survive in this industry or this field, not liking kids. Like, and even though some people seem strict or like mean, like you would go crazy if you didn't, like working with teenagers and kids so even though and in tv shows and movies they always are personified the teachers are like oh like they hate the kids and like the kids rock walk all over them but i think like that's just a stereotype and i really don't think that you can survive as a teacher um if you don't like working with students so speaking of television movies i uh there's one there's a couple i'd like to hear your opinion on but one that perfectly fits with that stereotype is uh, Matilda. Oh yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that I've movie seen or read the book? I've seen parts of it. Uh, that actually like gave me nightmares as a kid, that movie. Yeah. Have you ever had to be that stern with your students? I said a student hadn't started a project and I like, I was strict with her. I said, well, there's no reason why you shouldn't have started this yet. Like we've been working on this in class. And then one of the other students in the class later was like, oh my gosh, you were so scary. And I didn't mean, like, I didn't think I was being very scary, but the way that kids, like, perceive things is different than how we perceive things as adults. And sometimes we kind of miss. Now, that being said, I was was trying to be a little bit scary and a little bit forceful because, like, like, I don't really yell, but I wanted to know that I was upset with what she had shown for work so far. But so... I guess in that case, she was they're like, these are grade 12s too. They're like, oh my gosh, you were really scary. I was like, really? They're, you were so angry. I was like, I wasn't angry. You must hate her. I don't hate her. <laughs> like, 
So they perceive things different ways. So I think that's just an exaggeration on something that kids can relate to or that they perceive. I don't know. But she is scary, Mrs. Trunchbull. (laughs) But you're probably right. And like, because you, like as, as a kid going through the school, like the school is big. Like, so this is being recorded in a school. And as an adult, it's like, it's not that big. It's not a big place. But I remember as a kid, the ceilings were tall, the lockers were huge, the doorways were The grade twelves were like so grown oh, up. <laughs> they were like scary kind I of know. adults, unpredictable yeah. adults, but they were adults. Yeah. And um and so they all it, there's all everything is intimidating. Yeah. And so I think if you gave like a slight air of intimidation, it's probably just amplified. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've only been really angry at school once and all like really angry like where I yelled at the kids and you know what after I did it I went into my little like prep room and I was like oh there was a teacher and I said oh my gosh did you just hear me like yell at the kids and she's like yeah what's going on I said I don't even know why I got so angry it was over something completely ridiculous I had like sorted out baskets of things and the kids like I all mixed them and it was just like one of those breaking moments like parents have those too but anyway I was like, that was ridiculous. Like, what was I even doing? <laughs> well, that's where, I mean, it's like, well, you are human. Yeah. And you probably put some effort into, like, organizing these things. Well, and it's like, again, it's like you're under a lot of stress sometimes. And sometimes it's just, like, one thing sets you off, right? So happens to all of us. Joni, it sounds like there's, like, a thousand different components to being a teacher. Yeah. For, like, the main ones, the ones that, like, are absolutely crucial to being a successful teacher, like speaking in front of a class, that kind of thing. How many different like ways could you kind of break apart the role of teacher? Okay. Well, they're like in terms of skills or just like the different. So there's obviously like the organization short-term and long-term because you need to teach everything in a certain amount of time. Um, so that's a section. There's the actual like speaking and talking in front of groups, teaching like lab preparation and equipment and cleaning and managing and organizing like and ordering equipment inventory yeah assessment so marking is definitely a big piece um and then of course like the coaching and the counseling and coaching I mean like coaching people like emotional like psychological help and just like just helping them time, time management and then collecting tons of stuff Like in biology, we are, like, I'm constantly collecting things with my kids for my classroom. What do you... you What do I collect? Oh, my (laughs) gosh. What do I collect? Everything from, like, crafting supplies to, like, plants. And, like, when the hurricane hit us, I was like, let's go cut some of these trees and get, like, tree cookies so we can see the rings. And, like, just constantly trying to, like, find and save things that I can show or use in my classes. The teacher I share a room with, she got a fish tank and we've collected invertebrates from the bottom of the lake so we can like look at them and I don't know, just collecting stuff. The, so like the, one of the biggest parts, at least on the surface, seems to be something like you kind of generalize to public speaking. Yeah. Is that is the same at all? Like if, if, cause you do it every day um, basically, but. I don't know. Cause I don't speak in front of like big audiences or adults very often. So I actually had a moment, I was asked to kind of be a curriculum leader at my school this year, which meant I had to manage like the science team and, you know, organize meetings and run the meetings. 
And I was kind of freaking out because I was like, I talk in front of students all the time, but I've never like managed or spoken in front of adults. So I was a little bit like that made me anxious a little bit. So I, I, but I don't know, like talking in front of adults, I guess is the same as talking in front of students. People are people. I guess I just feel like by adults, I'm being judged more. I guess as a teacher, like the students have a certain level of respect because you have that title to your name or that position. Although I will say, even in teaching, like sometimes I have to like, when I'm coming to school, I'm like, all right, I'm going to have to put my game face on. And when I was a substitute teacher, I used to drive to this unknown school, an unknown class, and I would like pump my like rap music trying to get into like the zone because I was like, you have to go in there with confidence that you know what's happening, right? The other day I was doing kind of like, a dangerous demo and um, not, well, sort of dangerous. I was lighting metals on fire, so they involved fire, but um, I was like thinking about it the night before and I was like, okay, I just like, I got to do my power poses, got to get my game face on, like, here we go. And I've done that hundreds, well, hundreds, 13 times before. I just had never done it for this class and this school. And and so I was like freaking out a little bit, but uh it was all good. The different color flames? Is that what you were... Uh, that wasn't exactly it, but I that is a different one you do with burning metals, yeah. So what were you lighting metal on fire this time for? I was like throwing sodium in the yeah, water, yeah. So, and it lights name, on fire. The yeah. name of that column? Alkaline metals. Alkaline metals into, and it's just water, and then it gets more reactive uh, the yeah. further... Yes. I think we got as far as potassium. Yeah, probably. It it burns purple. It's cool. And then uh, <laughs> and then uh, we had to go home. Well, and then you watch the movies. The YouTube. <laughs> yeah. like, I wonder what would happen if you put. Um, oh geez, oh, it should. Cesium, francium, francium. Like, what if you dropped francium in a lake? Yeah. Like a car-sized explosion. Map. Yeah, and so but anyway, that that left a mark on me. Joni, if I asked you to reflect on your career or your education if you could go back and be like I love being a teacher want to keep doing this but I could have done this differently you know I'm all about just following the path and I always tell my students too I was like you know there's more than one way to get to an end goal and just because your path is like twisted and curved instead of straight like you might still get where you want to be so roll the punches the uh just even what you said just there with like if you get off course that only seems like, again, if you look back, you'd be like, oh, actually, you know what? That wasn't off course at all. Yeah. It, was- it feels off course at the yeah. time. But then when you, in high, like, even doing my master's, like, when I was doing it, and I would, like, lock myself in rooms, and I would have to, like, write papers, and, like, trying to stay away from my kids, I would, like, spread everything out on the floor, and I'd be, like, typing on, like, a mat, like, on the floor, like, trying to just find places to work. I was like, this is absolutely insane. Like, what? Why did I even take this on? But like I said, like, I don't think I would have gotten to where I am now, like, had I not done that. So in hindsight, it was a good move. But while I was doing it, I was like, this is stupid. Like, I have just stressed out and maxed out our budget. And I've put all this stress on my family. And I never get to see my kids. And they're only young once. And Your kids are still quite young. They're still young. Yeah, they're still young. And actually, one of the things I did say is, like, like in hindsight, I was like, well, if I... Like, I feel like with kids, our life is going to get more busy, especially as they get more busy. So I said, if I'm going to do this, I think the time is now when they're like infants and babies and toddlers, um, because they won't remember any of that. Like they might remember that I went to school, but they're not really going to remember that I locked myself in a room and shut them out (laughs) trying to get a paper written. Well, Joni, contrary to your kids, when you were 
studying for your master's. I can tell you that I'm definitely not going to forget this anytime soon. I think a lot differently now. I honestly can say that uh, you've you've painted a far better picture than I had before. Oh, cool! So thank you, thank you very much for doing that, and thanks for uh, coming, or thanks for for, having for me. him. Yeah, thanks yeah. for being here. No, it's great. Like I, I like this is way out of my comfort zone, and uh, I thought it was interesting when you asked me that. Uh, I the first thing I said was like, "Oh, I'm not that interesting. You should talk to my husband. Like he's he's way cooler." And then you said, "That's what like." All the females I ask say, and, and so and as a teacher, I was like, you know what? We need more strong women, and it's also important to step out of your comfort zone and try new things. So I was like, I'll just do it. I'm just going to do it. And so I hope you make me sound really interesting, oh. and I hope it all works out. <laughs> it's it's going to work out great. I, I have no doubts. Cool. Thanks very much. You're welcome. It's easy to lose sight of how important the role of a teacher is. A good teacher needs to motivate, educate, and inspire dozens of unique individuals with short attention spans, provide evidence that they've done this, and then repeat the whole process again with dozens of new people. Not only do they have to teach the students lessons, but they have to actually inspire the students to teach themselves, and then show them how to do that. When you stop and think about it, the challenge is imposing and the implications are daunting. I mean, it's only the very underpinnings of society's future we're talking about here. No big deal. So I think I need to thank Joni in the traditional podcast host sense. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. But also, thanks for doing such a great job. It's truly comforting to know that you're making such great strides to create meaningful experiences for hundreds of young people. The human connection is a big part of my next guest's job as well but in a very different sense. Instead of teaching groups of kids intellectual skills, physiotherapist Jessie Roy is teaching her clients the proper physical habits for rehabilitation, longevity, and better health in general. So how do you approach your work every single day when you're greeted with a completely different set of clients with new challenges and variables? I don't know, but Jessie does. So tune in when she walks us through the life of a physiotherapist next time on How To.